Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life.
to awaken us again to the reality of our great description, and to the great truth that we try to work
I want you to understand that this is not just a passing remark in his letter to the Romans. You can read things like this and reread through it very quickly and very casually in the midst of all the very significant instructions that he's been given. And this is a very significant letter, the most elaborate probably letter we have in all scripture, elaborating the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's laid out some very practical implications of all those and the lives of those who understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of all of this very significant instruction, he says, I need you to strive with me in prayer. Now, the question I want to ask and answer is, why? We're going to address it really quickly, and then we're going to move on because we have a lot to cover. But why? Why does the great apostle Paul here plead with the Christians in Rome to strive with him in prayer? And the answer is very simple. Paul pleads for prayer because Paul understands that he has great need of supernatural support. It's that simple. He knows that he needs help. He's about to go to Jerusalem. He's about to deliver a gift to the church in Jerusalem, the poor saints there. He's about to go to Jerusalem knowing that there's a lot of hostility waiting for him there. He's about to go to Jerusalem and he's about to go to the church in Jerusalem who are filled with people who are suspicious of him and his motives. His life is on the line. He's laying it all out there. He needs supernatural support. Think about this. The apostle Paul needs supernatural support. The Apostle Paul, the theological giant, needs supernatural support. Paul, the effective church planter, needs supernatural support. Paul, the greatest missionary who would ever walk the face of the earth, needs supernatural support. Paul, the one who experienced the risen Christ in a radical way on the road to Damascus in a, in a radical conversion, this Paul needs supernatural support. Paul, the pastor to pastors. Paul, the masterful apologist. Paul, the author, the author of huge portions of Holy Scripture nonetheless. This is the Paul we're talking about who recognizes that he needs supernatural support because he understands, not just intellectually, but he understands in a deep and profound way that he is very weak. This is the Paul who knew very well that none of this work was even remotely possible apart from the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit working in him and through him on his behalf. This is why you'll notice Paul requesting prayer all throughout his writings. He requests prayer for boldness in Ephesians 6.19. He requests prayer for doors to be opened for the word of God in Colossians 4 verse 3. He requests prayer very simply in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2 Thessalonians 3 when he just says, Pray for me. Pray for me. Those three words, pray 
for me. The Apostle Paul understands the significance of these words. If they land upon the hearts of people who will in fact understand the power of prayer. That if they would pray, things would happen that would not happen if they had not prayed. That's power. Paul understood in a way that very few of us do, that without the prayers of the people, without the power of God, without the God of the universe holding him up and leading him and protecting him, that he was absolutely finished. C. H. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, wrote this. He said, it was a great wonder that the infant church of Christ was not destroyed. Truly, she was like a lone lamb in the midst of furious wolves, without either earthly power or prestige or patronage to protect her. Yet she escaped from the hosts of her cruel foes. It is worthwhile asking, however, with what weapons did this church protect herself? We may very wisely use the same. She was preserved in her utmost danger from overwhelming destruction. What was her defense? Where found she shield and buckler? The answer is prayer. Oh, loved ones, what will it take for us to understand this? What will it take for us to believe this? What will it take for our church to resolve, to never deviate from this? What will it take? I want you to see that the Apostle Paul doesn't resort to manipulation or guilt tripping to motivate the church to pray. Notice instead how he motivates them. Look at verse 30 again. Look at your Bibles. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch this, by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the first way he seeks to motivate them. When he says, I appeal to you by the Lord Jesus Christ, he's appealing by the authority of Jesus Christ. He's appealing by the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. In other words, he's saying, for the sake of Christ, for the purposes of Jesus Christ, according to the will of Jesus Christ, pray for me. This is his motivation. My friend Daniel Henderson said something that I will never, ever forget. He said, the only enduring motivation for prayer is this, that God is worthy to be sought. If we're depending on the people in the church to come to prayer meetings, if we're depending on some pastor riling them up or manipulating them or twisting their arms or offering snacks at the prayer meeting or doing anything he can to get them there, we are way off. Here is the only enduring motivation. By the Lord Jesus Christ and his authority and his name, he is worthy to be worshiped. Listen, someone wants to clap, you better join him. We're gonna get this, church. We're gonna get this. By the Lord Jesus Christ. But he has another way of motivating them. I want you to look at verse 30 again. 
It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the second motivation. And by the love of the Spirit. This is a reference to the love that the Holy Spirit has put inside of us. In other words, he makes his appeal and motivates them to respond to that appeal based on the Spirit-given love that they have for him and that they have for one another. This is why we pray for each other. Because we love God and because we love each other. This is why we seek the face of God because his name is worthy to be sought and because we love him and because we have deep love for one another. He's not guilt tripping them. He's saying by the authority of Jesus and by the love that you have and it's put in your heart by the Holy Spirit. If you love each other, pray, pray for me. If you love me, pray for me. And these alone are huge realities that will motivate God's people and us to pray. There's something more we need to see about the nature of prayer. Something distinct that is really central to Paul's appeal here. I want you to notice verse 30 again. He says, I appeal to you brothers by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit. Here's the appeal. Notice this. To strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. The, the word strive, it comes from the Greek word agonize. The idea here is wrestling in prayer. The idea here is fighting in prayer. The idea here is persisting in prayer. The idea here is laboring in prayer. The idea here is working in prayer. When he says, strive with me, he's saying, fight with me. Fight for me in prayer. Agonize with me. Have you ever experienced agonizing prayer? Maybe some of us have. Maybe your situation was so bleak. Your situation was so dark. Your situation was so desperate and you were so broken that you got to a place where you agonized in prayer. What will it take for us to strive together in prayer. The picture here is not a cute, quiet, calm circle of friends sipping tea and eating biscuits while they pray for their kitchen renovation to soon be complete. The picture is agonizing because for Christians in the world, the stakes are high and there's so much worth fighting for in prayer. And maybe today, there's something worth fighting for agonizing over in your life. I want to share with you Chrissy's story. Chrissy is the daughter of the well-known pastor, Pastor Jim Simbla, who pastors the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City, a church whose impact on the world can only be explained by this. God answers prayer. I've had this book with me probably is cal calculating this morning probably for 25 years and this book has probably been 
the greatest influence on how I understand and view prayer. It's not a profoundly theological treatise on prayer. It's not an apologetic for prayer, but it's simply the story of one pastor who walked into a very dark situation in New York City and watched God through prayer raise up a church that is shaking the world. Listen to Chrissy's story. Pastor Simbla says, all my talking about prayer faced a severe test several years ago. This was many, many years ago now when Carol and I, Carol, his wife, went through the darkest two and a half year tunnel we could imagine. Our oldest daughter, Chrissy, who had been a model child growing up, around age 16, started to stray. I admit I was slow to notice this. I was too occupied with the church starting branch congregations, overseeing projects, and all the rest that ministry entails. Meanwhile, Chrissy not only drew away from us, but also drew away from God. In time, she left our home. There were many nights we had no idea where she was. As the situation grew more serious, I tried everything. I begged, I pleaded, I scolded, I argued. I tried to control her with money. Looking back, I recognized the foolishness of my actions. Nothing worked. She just hardened more and more. Her boyfriend was everything we did not want for our child. How I kept functioning through that period, I don't know. Many a Sunday morning, I would put on my suit, get into the car, and drive to the tabernacle early ahead of Carol and cry for the next 25 minutes all the way to the church door. God, how am I gonna get through these meetings today? I don't wanna make myself the center of attention. People have problems of their own. They're coming for help and encouragement. But what about me? I'm hanging on by a thread. Oh God, please, my firstborn, Chrissy. Somehow, God would pull my nerves together enough for me to function through another long Sunday. There were moments, however, as we were worshiping God and singing that my spirit would almost seem to run away from the meeting to intercede for Chrissy. I had to control myself to stay focused on the people and their needs. While this was going on, we learned that Carol needed an operation, a hysterectomy. As she tried to adjust afterward, the devil took the opportunity to come to her and say, you might have a big choir, you're making albums, you're doing outreaches at Radio City Music Hall and all the rest, fine. You and your husband can go reach the world for Christ, but I'm gonna have your children. I've already got the first one. I'm coming for the next two. Like any mother who loves her children, Carol was smitten with tremendous fear and distress. Her family meant more to her than a choir. One day she said to me, listen, we need to leave New York. I'm serious. This atmosphere has already swallowed up our daughter can't keep raising our kids here. If you want to stay, you can stay. But I'm getting our children out. Simbla says she wasn't kidding. I said, Carol, we can't just do that. We can't unilaterally take off knowing what God wants without knowing what God wants us to do. Now, Carol wasn't being rebellious. She, she was just depressed after the surgery. She elected not to pack up and run away after all. And it was at that low point and she went to the piano one day and God gave her a song that touched more people than perhaps anything else she's ever written. In my moments of fear, through every pain and every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. 
When my strength was all gone, when my heart had no song, still in love, he's proved faithful to me. Every word he's promised is true. What I thought was impossible. I see my God do. He's been faithful, faithful to me. Looking back, his love and mercy I see. Though in my heart I have questioned, even failed to believe. He's been faithful, faithful to me. Then one November, I was alone in Florida when I received a call from a minister whom I had persuaded Chrissy to talk to. Jim, he said, I love you and your wife. The truth of the matter is Chrissy's going to do what Chrissy's going to do. You don't really have much choice. Now she's 18. She's determined. You're going to have to just accept whatever she decides. I hung up the phone. Something very deep within me began to cry out, never. I will never accept Chrissy being away from you, Lord. I knew that if she continued on the present path, there would be nothing but destruction awaiting her. Once again, there came a divine showdown. God strongly impressed me to stop crying, stop screaming, stop talking to anyone else about Christy. I was to converse with no one else but God. In fact, I knew I should have no further contact with Chrissy until God acted. I was just to believe and obey why I'd often preached. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will answer you. February came one cold Tuesday night during the prayer meeting. I talked from Acts 4 about the church boldly calling on God in the face of persecution. We entered into a time of prayer, everyone reaching out to the Lord simultaneously. And Usher handed me a note. A young woman whom I felt to be spiritually sensitive had written, Pastor Simbola, I feel impressed that we should stop the meeting and all pray for your daughter. I hesitated. Was it right to change the flow of the service and focus on my own personal need? Yet something in the note seemed to ring true. In a few minutes, I picked up a microphone and told the congregation what had just happened. The truth of the matter, I said, although I haven't talked about it much, is that my daughter is very far from God these days. She thinks up is down and down is up, dark is light and light is dark, but I know God can break through to her. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Bokestaff to lead us in praying for Chrissy. Let's all join hands across the sanctuary. As my associate began to lead the people, I stood behind him with my hand on his back. My tear ducts had all run, run dry and I prayed the best I knew how. To describe what happened in the next few minutes, I can only employ a metaphor. The church turned into a labor room. The sounds of women giving birth are not pleasant, but the results are wonderful. There arose a groaning, a sense of desperate determination, as if to say, Satan, you will not have this girl. Take your hands off her. She's coming back. I was overwhelmed. The force of the vast throng calling on God almost literally knocked me over. When I got home that night, Carol was waiting up for me. We sat at the kitchen table drinking coffee and I said, it's over. What's over? She wondered. It's over with Chrissy. You would have had to been in the prayer meeting tonight. I tell you, if there's a God in heaven, this whole nightmare is finally over. And I described what had taken place. 32 hours later, 
on Thursday morning, as I was shaving, Carol suddenly burst through the door, her eyes wide. Go downstairs, she blurted. Chrissy's here. Chrissy's here? Yes, go down. But Carol, I just go down, she urged. It's you she wants to see. I wiped the shaving foam off and headed down the stairs, my heart pounding. As I came around the corner, I saw my daughter on the kitchen floor, rocking on her hands and knees, sobbing. Cautiously, I spoke her name, Chrissy. She grabbed my pant leg and began pouring out her anguish. Daddy, Daddy, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and Mommy. Please forgive me. My vision was as clouded by tears as hers. I pulled her up off the floor and held her close as we cried together. Suddenly she drew back. Daddy, she said to start, who was praying for me? Who was praying for me? Her voice was like that of a cross-examining attorney. What do you mean, Chrissy? On Tuesday night, Daddy, who was praying for me? I didn't say anything. So she continued. In the middle of the night, God woke me and showed me that I was heading towards this abyss. There was no bottom towards it. It scared me to death. I was so frightened, I realized how hard I've been, how wrong, how rebellious. But at the same time, it was like God wrapped his arms around me and held me tight. He kept me from sliding any farther. He said, I still love you, daddy. Tell me the truth. Who was praying for me Tuesday night? I looked into her bloodshot eyes. And once again, I recognized the daughter we had raised. Chrissy's return to the Lord became evident immediately. By that fall, she had opened, uh, God had opened a miraculous door for her to enroll at a Bible college. She not only undertook studies, but also began directing music groups in a large choir, just like her mother. Today, she's married to a pastor in the Midwest with three wonderful children. Through all this, Carol and I learned as never before that persistent calling upon the Lord breaks through every stronghold of the devil for nothing is impossible with God. And when I thought about the apostle Paul's words, strive with me in prayer. And I sought to come up with a way to strengthen the understanding of this verse. I thought immediately about Chrissy's story and the Tuesday night prayer meeting that became a labor room, a room where people were striving, agonizing, fighting. There is power in prayer. Is there anything in your life worth striving for today? Is there anything in your Christian life worth putting away your phone for, worth closing your laptop for, worth turning away from your social media for, and turning to God in prayer? 
Is there anything in your life that you look at and you think this is an impossibility? You've given up, you've turned away, and now you're numbing yourself with all the futility that this world has to offer rather than striving in prayer? Is there anything in this church worth striving for? Is there anything in this community worth striving for? The answer to that question is yes. What will it take? What will it take for our prayer meetings to become labor rooms where with the Bible open and with hands raised and with knees bent and with tears in our eyes, we strive for one another. We labor for one another. We labor for this community. We labor for this city. We know there are neighbors of ours that are going to die and go to hell unless they find Jesus. What's it going to take? Strive with me. That's the invitation. That's the urgent invitation. Come, struggle together in prayer. Finally, the final part of this invitation. Come and see how God answers prayer. Come and see how God answers prayer. I want you to notice verses 31 to 33 beginning In the last part of 31, Paul says, Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Watch this now, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that I, that my service, excuse me, for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, there are at least three prayer requests here that you need to understand and see. The three prayer requests that the Apostle Paul is appealing to the church at Rome to join him in praying for. First, he's requesting prayer for his safety. As he heads to Jerusalem to take the collection for the poor saints there, he's requesting prayer for safety because he knows that he's going to be met with hostility from the Jews. His life is literally on the line. Plead with me, labor with me, cry out to God with me that my life would be spared. This is not a joke. Secondly, He's requesting that they pray that his service would be received and acceptable in Jerusalem. Why is he praying that? The poor saints in Jerusalem, he's coming with money. He's coming with aid. Why wouldn't they accept him? Well, some in the church in Jerusalem would have still been very suspicious of the apostle Paul, considering his background as a persecutor of Christians. And some would have been influenced by the hostility of the unbelievers, the unbelieving Jews towards Paul, and what receiving that gift could possibly mean for them and how they would be treated by the unbelieving Jews. And so he's praying that they would receive his gift, that it would be acceptable, that they would not be influenced by the unbelieving Jews, that they would not reject him, they wouldn't be suspicious of him. It's a good prayer. Thirdly, He's requesting prayer for his eventual arrival in Rome. Remember we saw last week, he longed for many years to be with them. And he requests that they pray that he would arrive there safely, that he would finally be able to see them. And 32 says to be refreshed by them. Thankfully, the scriptures record for us much of what happened to the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. And we have record of whether or not these prayers were actually answered. And we find that the Bible teaches us at least two things about how God answers prayer in the life of the Apostle Paul with these three specific requests. I'm going to show you just two things, and then I'm going to give you a strong invitation that's very practical for us today. God answers prayer. Make a note of this. 
according to his will. I want you to see that's right in the text. According to his will. Look at verse 32. That's the first thing I want you to see. Starting from verse 31. Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Here it is. So that by God's will, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. This is the first thing that I want you to see. Paul acknowledged here and in many other places that his prayers and his desires were always subject to God's will and God's desires. And this, loved ones, should never bother us. You, you say, Jason, I, you just shared this amazing story about how God answers prayer, but, but how, do I know, how do I know if it's God's will? And, and I don't want you, I don't want our church to get caught up and develop and erect theological walls that negate other profound theology, the theology to come to God, to approach to God with faith. How do I know that I'm praying according to God's will? <laughs> There's so much I can say about this. Let me just give you these three things. First, never be bothered by a preacher who says to you, pray according to God's will. Never be bothered with that. In fact, I give you this, number one, not on the screen. Desire God's will. Desire it, want it, because you know that when you are in the center of God's will for your life, you are safest, you are most protected. Desire it, don't be bothered to pray according to God's will. Secondly, how do we pray according to God's will? Pray God's word. I share this with you often in John 15, seven, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Pray God's word. Never pray without an open Bible in front of you. Pray God's word for your situation. And then finally, surrender your plans. None of this means that we have to come to God doubting. In fact, the scripture says the opposite. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you don't receive because you come with wrong motives and you doubt and you're being tossed back and forth. Come to God with faith, desiring his will, praying his word, and surrendering the outcomes to him. None of that negates faith and belief that God can do the impossible. None of it. Amen. So God answers prayer according to his will. Last thing is this. God answers prayer in his own purposeful way. I want you to know that God answered all of Paul's requests here in Romans 15, 30 to 30, but in his own way for his own divine purposes. We read about it in Acts 22 all the way to 28. For example, I'll just give you a couple examples. Paul's prayer for safety was answered and his life was spared, but not exactly the way you think. Paul did face tremendous hostility in fact, he was attacked, he was beaten, and the only thing that spared his life was the fact that he got arrested. He was arrested, taken away, otherwise he would have been killed. God answers prayers sometimes in a way that we don't expect. You think when you're praying, Lord, spare my life, you think it's gonna be an easy path. Well, God did answer Paul's prayer. He did spare his life but he did not spare a lot of suffering. And the very fact that Paul was arrested was a gateway to a massive 
opportunity for the gospel with those whom he was chained to. God answers in his own purposeful way. Paul did end up arriving in Rome. That's another answered prayer. He'd longed to arrive in Rome for many years. He'd prayed that he would arrive with joy. That prayer was answered, not the way the people would have thought. He didn't arrive in Rome as a free man. He arrived in Rome as a prisoner. That's how he got to Rome. And on the way, shipwreck, tumultuous circumstance after tumultuous circumstance. How does Paul get to Rome? How does this prayer get answered? Handcuffed, walked to Rome, house arrest for two years. Prayer answered. He landed in Rome but not the way you thought. And he did experience the joy of being visited by some in the church at Rome. Prayers were answered. God has a way of answering prayer in his own purposeful way. And I want you to be encouraged by that, loved ones, because here's the truth of the matter. When we pray, sometimes we pray with tunnel vision and with our own expectations, and we think it's got to be this way, this is the only outcome, and we have no understanding of the fact that when we pray, God sees the whole picture. There is a beautiful tapestry, there is a canvas being painted, and we see this one little speck on the beautiful portrait that God is painting, but he's painting this picture for his glory and for his purposes. And so, loved ones, how is God answering your prayers today in a way maybe you didn't expect? Maybe you're standing in answered prayer right now in a way that you didn't expect or haven't realized. In my life, I believe right now, I'll just be personal, I'll be transparent with you, I believe I'm standing in answered prayer in a way that I would not have mapped out for myself. What about you? God answers prayer according to his will and in his own purposeful way. The question is, will we respond to his invitation to lay hold of these answers? What a privilege to strive together in prayer. We have a prayer meeting happening tonight. From the beginning of our church, we have said we must be a church of prayer. In the middle of all that we're facing in our church, in the middle of all we've faced in the past two years in this world, in the middle of all that we've endured in the middle of your hardships, the things that you're facing, in the middle of all that so many of us are going through, the call, the beckoning, the summons remains the same. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. I invite you again to join us, to strive with us in prayer. Seven o'clock today. Could you put that slide on the screen for me, brother? Queensway Baptist Church tonight, where we will learn together to labor in prayer. 
You maybe noticed that as you walked in, the ushers were particularly intentional about putting a connection card in your hand. I hope you all have one. Because for tonight, I wonder, I wonder how many of these we can collect for tonight. Because I want us to strive together in prayer tonight. Scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based. I want to invite you to fill out the prayer request portion on this card you received right now or as soon as you get a pen in your hand. And I want you to think of that impossibility in your life. I want you to think, maybe you're a parent, of your Chrissy. I want you to think, if you're a parent, of your little children who maybe aren't showing so much interest in the things of God. I want you to think about your work. I want you to think about our country. I want you to think about our government. I want you to think about your needs. I want you to think about your family. I want you to think, you don't have to put your name on it. You can. I encourage you to do that, but you don't have to. And I want you to believe that as we strive together in prayer for these requests tonight and going forward, that God will answer according to his will and in his own purposeful way. I want you to fill these out. I want you to drop them off at the connections desk on the way out. So welcome team, leave that box visible, be present there so we know where to drop it. And we're gonna gather these tonight and we're gonna hand them out and we're gonna strive and struggle and fight. If you need a connection card, put up your hand. We'll put it in your hand right now. If you need one, there's people over here. Put up your hand, don't be as shy. Is it worth fighting for? Is there anything in your life worth fighting for? There's another hand over here. Put up your hand if you need a card. Is there anything, loved ones, worth fighting for and striving for? Loved ones, there's so, so much. I'm gonna put down on this card, Lord, we pray that our church is a praying church. And we don't just ask for this in a cute, neat, tidy way. We strive for this, God. Make us a praying church. Do what you have to do. Break us if you need to. Lord, I understand what I'm asking for when I ask for that. Make us a praying people. If you need to remove some, if you need to add others, do what you need to do. Make us a praying church. That's my prayer request. I'm gonna strive for it. You're going to strive for it with me. What about you? What about you? Your very personal request. Fill it out. Worship team, come now. We're going to sing a song. We're going to respond together. As you respond right now with the song, we're going to prepare ourselves to participate in the Lord's Supper as well. As you're writing out your prayer requests, you remember, based on the words of Scripture, that our God is a prayer-answering God that all the resources of heaven are found in the prayers of the people of God. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.